are you now, are now listening, listening to, to The War Report Wednesday, Wednesday Night, night war, war, war Room, room. With your host, host C-Dope. It's your boy Caesar Walker. Well, I got my boys with me. Mike, Mike G. G. Get your weight up. Strength and conditioning. Development. Ike Jones. Jones. Stop thinking with your emotions and watch the tape. And be real. Which is not normal for me. It's taking something out of me. Are you ready? Because we are now we are locked now and loaded, loaded, loaded for the Wednesday, for the Wednesday night, night war. Let's go! Yo, what's up, everybody? We are here. Your man Ike Jones in here with Mike G. B. Will. The War Room is here. The War Report is here. And you all are here locked in, man. Listen, we appreciate everybody for getting in here. We see you dropping your War Eagles. We see you telling us where you're from. For those of you who are uninitiated, we are The War Report. You are in The War Room. We want to know where you're from. Drop that out here in the comments. Let us know what's going on with you. Uh, We got some great things going on tonight. Fellas, how y'all feeling? Amazing. I'm all right. You know, we all right. Listen, uh, for all of y'all who have not been out here and don't know, if you come in here, we want you to share all of this video content with somebody. If you're on social media, make sure you're tweeting that video link out there. You can go just retweet what we got already out there. Make sure you are adding us at the War Report. Hashtag get your weight up. Let everybody come in here and join in the conversation. Go ahead and like the video while you're at it. Might as well. You in here, go ahead and give us a thumbs up on that sort of thing, man. Gonna be a good conversation tonight. Again, C Dub's got the night off, but hopefully I'm gonna do justice in his stead doing the uh the the hosting duties tonight. Uh, but we got a lot of things popping off. Mike G, you want to tell them what we got coming up, man? Yeah, listen, our interview with A.D. Allen Green is live. Uh, this was a tremendous conversation. I appreciate all the positive feedback that we've gotten. We tried uh not to pull any punches during this interview, uh, but also remain respectful. Um and uh, in turn, he responded very candidly to some things that, you know, quite honestly, have just been on all of our minds all offseason. So um, I feel pretty confident after this interview that Auburn Athletics is in really good hands with A.D. Green. So we appreciate him uh, taking some time to just kind of talk to us. And he uh, he definitely dropped some knowledge on us um, that I wish we could say everything he just said off camera uh, during these interviews. Uh, we cannot. But I can tell you that I, I got a real firm grasp on you know, what the vision is for athletics moving forward. Um, you know, why we made the change, uh, you know, from Gus to Harson, right? And, and what they hope Harson will be able to accomplish as the successor uh, coming in the door. So um, thank you again to A.D. Green for taking the time. He doesn't do a lot of interviews, people. He doesn't do a lot of interviews, but he took the time to sit down with us. So I'm looking forward to having him back at the end of the season so yeah. that we can talk about what we saw. <clears throat> yeah. So if you liked this interview, you're going to love the one at the end of the season. That's for sure. Yeah, hopefully we'll be at, we'll have an opportunity to get him back in here and talk again. Um it was it was definitely a good time. Um a lot of people commented on just how personable he was. He was super intentional with using our names when talking to us. Mm-hmm. Um it was just there's a lot of takeaways that I had from that um that helped me to understand the kind of man that he was um and the kind of programs, not just football, but programs he wants to build with the Auburn mm-hmm. Athletic Department. So um, you just get a sense of how genuine a person he is. I, I think one of the things, too, that I like, and this is, you know, I don't know a ton about the um, previous um, athletic director. But one of the things I do like about Alan Green is that, um, you know, he's a former player. Right. So he played baseball. He knows what it's like to be a student athlete. Um, and you can tell in just how that how he approaches 
um, the the idea of what he wants to do for those athletes. And he just seems very intentional with his thought process around that. And then, too, the competitive nature of, you know, saying things like, you know, his expectation is national championships. Not listen. He didn't say SEC championships. He didn't say SEC West championships. He specifically said in his, quote, national championships is the expectation for our programs that we have around Auburn. Um, that says a lot to me about the approach that we're going to have coming up. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it pays dividends in the future. Yeah, man. Listen, this guy has a vision. Um, you know, I enjoyed listening to him talk about his belief system um, and how, you know, he was always an Auburn man even before he took the Auburn job. And, um, you know, again, this guy can't stress enough. Just uh, I feel like our program is in really, really good hands. Um, and if I were a coach, I would want to work. For A.D. Green, I would want that guy going to bat for me. And let me tell you, man, that that dude is nobody's puppet. He's his own man. I'll say it again for the people in the back. He's nobody's puppet. He is his own man. And, uh, you know, uh, you're going to, you know, now he takes input like he's not he's not he's not a dictator. Right. He takes input from the people around him. Uh, He likes to be connected to the community to understand uh, what fans are thinking, what, you know, what administrators are thinking, what coaches, what players are thinking. Right. Um, And so I had a strong appreciation for the collaborative mindset that he has. But ultimately, you know, he's the one that's got to make a lot of the tough decisions that need to be made. Um, And it was very clear uh, from talking to him that he's up to the task. So. Definitely looking forward to how that turns out. Um, His first major hire, Brian Harson. We will see how that comes uh, to fruition Mm -hmm. in just a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we do see the fruits of what's been going on with the program so far. We've been very active when it comes to the transfer portal and at least putting um, offers out there to commits. But in specific, the the defensive backfield got some new help. So we've got a new transfer junior college player that's coming over to us. Ro Torrance is the guy. 63195 Hutchinson Community College, the 32nd ranked recruit in the nation when he came out in 20 um just last year. So he was a freshman um at the JUCO. Uh fifth ranked quarterback last year in seven games, had 20 tackles and six pass breakups. So um did either, either of you guys get a chance to dig into this young man any B Will? Any thoughts on this new junior college transfer? I hadn't looked at him too hard. I read the kind of the profile of him once we signed him. Um, and listen, you just won a national championship mm-hmm. on the level where you played. Mm-hmm. So you're a winner. All yeah. right. As, if I'm not mistaken, he was voted the best defensive back or was it best defensive player in that conference for the year? I'm not sure. I didn't sure. see the awards. But we can look it up and see if he was best a defensive d- d- Defensive player of the year recognition. Yeah. Mm. Defensive player of the year recognition. Six three one ninety. Listen, when I, we we know wide receivers are big now, but we hadn't always had lengthy uh, cornerbacks. I mean, six yeah, three cornerbacks. The last one. that was the last time, and he won a Super Bowl. So I mean, come on, man. This type of talent. So he was committed to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. He decommitted very quickly. Mm-hmm. Within I mean, like a week and a half or something like yes. that. It wasn't even a full <laughs> month that he was like there. instantly. Yeah. And then we pick him up. What our staff has done going to get transfer guys these last two months has been unreal. I don't know. I don't know what they're selling. I don't care what they're selling. It's <laughs> worth it. 
It, it is that, it working. It seems like that was like a a, a, a like a one-for-one one trade with Kamal Haddon, though, right? Because Haddon, didn't he just go to Tennessee? He did. He yeah. ended up at Tennessee. But he I did. mean, it's like we got rid of one Juco guy, and then we get the other one um, in exchange for him. Yeah, Auburn dad is in here saying that he saw on Burke's IG where Haddon wishes he had stayed at Auburn instead of jumping to Tennessee. Yeah, but he does. Yikes. I don't know if we got room anymore in the defensive backfield room. Man, sir. Listen, uh, what makes what? you think Tennessee was going to be better than Auburn? You saw, listen, they didn't <laughs> get a better coach. They had to hit the ejecto button on Pruitt. So you you got whatever was left, and what was left was not good. You're talking about the leftovers from Scott Frost yeah. at UCF? Come on, man. That, that wasn't going to be a good situation. I get it. You knew a couple people from there because they came from here. Great. You could have stayed and toughed it out. Just like we've been talking about this for the last three months. Who's going to stay? What does that say about the people who leave? We have an impression, and I don't, want, I don't know everybody's individual reason for leaving, but listen, we knew it was going to be very difficult, a very different regime from the last one. It was going to flush some guys out. Those guys got out. I hope they found what they're looking for. In Hatton's case, you were here. You, you were in-house. Maybe you didn't get the news you wanted after spring, but you had a chance to be on the depth chart because obviously they were still looking for guys to play. So some of the people who we're been, oh, you know, what uh, what's his name? Kaufman. He's he's going to, you know, be behind smoke. Listen, I, I'm now wondering with as many DBs as we've got, somebody's going to be sitting. At first it was like, okay, now we got our nickel. Right. And no, somebody's going to be sitting. It's going to be very interesting. Now, I, I think the intrigue around starters just get extended beyond the quarterback position for me. Yeah. Now, that defensive backfield, who's going to be starting is going to be very interesting for me. Yeah. It started yeah. off, okay, we got our starters. Okay, we got our nickel. Okay, we got some depth. All right, now who, okay, now I don't know. Now, now yeah. I'm actually confused as far as who's going to be where. But I like that. It, they said they wanted competition. I, yeah. They weren't limiting that to the quarterback position. It's the DBs too. It's everywhere. The go get it. From these guys, getting people who have already produced, I love it, man. I love it. I don't know this guy's story yet. I haven't, like I said, I haven't dug too deep. Just saw the profile, but I just love who they're going to get. And I love how much tenacity they're showing by going to get these guys. I love it. Yeah, yeah I I got to tell you, um, of all the position groups that we had uh, left over from last year, this was the position group I was the least worried about, but they have had a Likewise. shocking amount of turnover, yeah, uh, yeah. which has been really, really surprising. Uh, when you're looking at what this staff is doing, I really do believe it is. And it's something that uh, A.D. Green told us during his interview, right? The, the plan is go out and get the best players no matter where they're at. That's what we heard, right? And so I am. Uh, I think that this move kind of reflects that. We can look at these kids and say, I like this player. I like that player. Ultimately, all that matters is are the coaches getting the right guys for this program? TBD. So right now where I'm at, and if you ask me about any player kind of moving forward, I'm going to be TBD until I see something on the field at this point. Now, Derek Mason has a really, really good track record. Uh, with development and as a, as a D coordinator. So I'm not really that concerned about us defensively. I, ha- I think we have an opportunity to be a top 15 defense in college football next year. Right. Uh, let me put, let me change that. Let me amend that a top 15 quality defense mm. next year. 
meaning they have the potential to play like a top 15. The stats may not bear that out, depending on what happens on the other side of the ball. But like, um, I just uh, I'm I'm really impressed uh, with the guys that they're bringing in, and you know, for the guys that we did evaluate. I, it's making me at least trust what they're thinking in terms of who's a right fit for us. Now, we haven't had as many problems defensively as we have offensively in terms of evaluating talent. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if we can take the next step at linebacker and then bring back the pass rush on the D-line. You know, um, I think that's where it's really going to be, because if you can't get pressure on the quarterback, you need lockdown corners. Right. You got to take something away. Right. You need lockdown corners and you need to be at least a run stopping team if you cannot get pressure on the quarterback. Yeah. And there's a comment here that I want to just tie into what you're saying. Somebody said that they disagreed that they feel like we it was Barney Knight said disagree, feel like our secondary we needed more coverage guys. But that ties into what you're saying. If you don't have a pass rush, then, yeah, you absolutely have yeah, to have right, guys. Yeah, that can right, lock down. Have, yeah. Yeah. You need lockdown corners if you don't have a pass rush. And uh, because of the lack of pass rush that we generated, our DBs were a little bit more of an island than we've been accustomed to, you know, and they still came up with, I mean, they still came up with some pick sixes last year and found themselves in some advantageous uh, uh, situations. So, you know, it is, it is the tale of how one area can affect another, but I, I felt really good about our DBs coming into the season. So like, I'm interested to see, you know, what this, final roster ends up looking like because right now it's not a whole lot like what we thought it would look like and they still have outside of db they still have we still have some newcomers that will be coming in expected to contribute in their first year i mean i'm excited about dylan brooks man i'm just i'm really excited about this defense man we could we could be scary good on defense this year yeah i I think I uh, when I retweeted um, shout out to Maine Easy when I retweeted his uh, thing about it, I said, you know, this is turned into a no fly zone, man. Like, where do you throw against a defense that's this talented, man? It's scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You only throw on them if you give if you're going to let the quarterback sit back there for five seconds of play. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's I mean, that's where you throw. And then you, you'll you'll find holes in, in, in you know, depending on 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 what kind of. Uh, a scheme they're running against our defense, but if you can generate any sort of pass rush with with and this talent at DB pans out the way we expect it to, wow! Right? I mean, I I'm looking forward to them giving our offenses some short fields to work with, just turning the ball over on the opponent's side of the field, and you know taking the pressure off these guys to drive the length of the field to score especially at the beginning of the season, may help us find a groove offensively. Um, and that's what I'm really excited about. This defense, man, can they just gift this offense some easy ones to get them some confidence early and help them find some rhythm? We talk a lot about how the offense can help the defense by keeping them off the field. But the defense can also help the offense by giving them a short field, especially a new offense right. that's going to need some help. Yeah. Yep. They're going to need some help. So, And an offense that looks like right now, if everyone's uh, account of the wide receiver position is accurate and it's not going to be a dominant position for us, that's going to be heavily reliant on the screen game to mm-hmm. generate um, passing yards and the tight end position to generate pass catchers. Right. Um, then, yes, short fields are are wonderful for that because I was uh, talking to I was I think I was commenting with someone either in our comment section or on Facebook about, you know, 
we might not have, you know, we've got speed guys. Malcolm Johnson's a speed guy. Hal Presley, by all accounts, is a speed guy. Um, Javarius Johnson is a speed guy. So we can threaten the defense with a deep ball just from speed aspect, right? Right. But vertical stretch is not the only way that you challenge a defense. Right. There are horizontal stretches that can happen where you you have designed plays that make that put certain defenses in conflict that makes them stretch horizontally, right? right? And you just open passing lanes with play design, right? You make it's not the um the the previous regime's philosophy of throw to the edge, throw to the edge, run wide, right? It's more so put more than one thing out there in um in a pattern that requires the linebackers to make a decision. Do I cover the flat or do I cover the guy in the middle? And then your your quarterback reads which one of those things they're tilting towards based upon leverages, right? right. Um, and so you have to understand there's more than one way to attack a defense. It's not all 50-yard chunk plays at a time, right? And if you have a philosophy that allows you to attack defenses in that way, you still keep them honest and you still get an opportunity to run the ball because – um, as we looked up, shout out to watching Chop It Up with a Pro with King. Um, a lot of what they were doing in the offensive philosophy was making the linebackers have to think a little bit more. So right. we're lining up in power formations, but we're not running the ball out of that. It's play action. So you 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 make the linebackers sink in and now you're throwing over the top of them. So you're just doing a lot of things differently that challenge the defense to think differently because you're throwing a lot at them. Um, that's all viable things that you actually intend to do, not just eye candy, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Can't agree more with Jeremy Redding here when he says, got to hit the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. If I have to go another season watching teams ignore the mid-range middle of the field, I may go crazy. Yeah, uh, ditto, Jeremy. <laughs> I agree 1,000%. If you watch the, um, the even in a great, like, so let's just take polar opposites of games. If you watch the film in Georgia or Alabama versus the film in LSU. One thing is clear about the defensive philosophies from all of those teams. They did not fear the threat of us throwing across the middle. Yeah, they didn't. That when um, what happens is when you're doing RPO stuff, um, the first reaction of your linebackers is to step up, right? Because you have to at least guard against the threat of the run. But typically what happens next is if it's not a run, then they're taught to flee or vacate, right? They just turn and they run to a spot to cover a zone, right? You can see most often those linebackers were turning their backs to the middle of the field to guard the edges because they knew that's where we were going to either throw the ball or that's where the quarterback was going to run to try to escape pressure. Yeah. It mm. was it was predictable over and over again. It's either a quick throw to the outside, a deep throw to the outside, quarterback escapes to the outside. So, we don't care about the middle of the field. Y'all ain't going there. If you're not running there, the ball's not going there. That is, you can go back and watch watch the film and tell me if I'm lying. Yeah. I saw that Julia is uh, asking here about um, summer practices, right? Like what happens during summer practices. Um, it's primarily working out, Julia. This is their last shot at seriously getting their weight up before the season starts. Um, so they're going to hit the weight room hard. Um, yeah. The coaches are extremely limited in their ability to be able to interact with players during the summer, right? So um, the NCAA has a lot of rules around that. They can't really, they can't do any organized practices, right? Essentially, I mean, they just have to. You know, players have to do a lot on their own during the summer, right? So they'll come in and they'll get they can do organized workouts, but. You know, uh, when those 15 practices that they get in the spring are super important because uh, 
that's the only organized stuff that the coaches can do with the players in terms of actual practices between January and August right. when the, uh, the fall semester starts. So with these guys who are coming in in the summer, right, uh, they, they're going to get in, hit the weight room, start learning the playbook. Um, a lot of it, for, especially offensively, will be about learning the playbook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I heard uh, we did a, a building report interview. Uh, we're talking off camera and, and, you know, we're told that Harson likes his QBs to wear wristbands. They're, they're calling plays from the. So that's going to be a huge difference. So mm-hmm. we talked about coming from under center. Right. Coming from under center is one thing. But actually getting a play call from the sideline and you calling that play in the huddle or on the field, as opposed to everybody taking signals from the sideline, Mm -hmm. that's going to be a change for this entire offense. You have to learn the verbiage of what we're calling in and understand where everybody's supposed to be lined up when you break the huddle or when you're calling it out at the um, line of scrimmage. It's no more. We're going to rush to the um, ball, line up, and then everybody look to the side and some coach, you look at your position coach and he's telling you your position that you need to be or your formation that you're doing. Like wide receiver coach is telling you, all right, we're going trips left. And the running back coach is telling you which way the protection is. And the line, the line coach is telling you we're going to be slide right. And then the quarterback is just um, understanding what the the read is. Like it's none of that. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Sidelines is going to tell you this is what it is. QB needs to know that verbiage, be able to call it out and say it from the field. So he wants them to have the wristband because it's we don't, we don't have no uh, confusion. I said it's play three on the wristband. All right, cool. Yeah. That's da-da-da, this and this and that. All right, let's go. Mm-hmm. Right? It, and that allows you to still go quickly, right? Because I don't have to give you the entire verbiage of the play call. I can just tell you where it is on your sheet. And you look and say, this is this protection, this such and such, you know, this, um, you know, wide receiver route combination. And you call those things and we go to the huddle and you do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and until and I think it's a confidence thing, too, until, you know, this playbook backwards and forwards. Yeah. I want you to have a cheat sheet out there. I don't need yeah. you guessing. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I can only imagine midweek when they're, they're installing stuff as well, too. And those wristbands and an offense with more pro style concepts are going to become really, really important. Right. So like um, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting fall, but, you know, kind of coming full circle defensively. uh, I saw a funny comment back here by Nino. He says, the more I watch y'all, the more I'm starting to lean towards nine to two first season. (laughs) Mm-mm, mm-mm, you know, the more you listen to Brian, the more you're <laughs> right. Oh, but shout to uh, Nino. Nino's a, a new uh, member, he is right? A, he is joined, a new member. joined today, man. We appreciate you coming in and uh, uh, joining the family. Yeah. Now, to be so, fair, but that that nine and three was way before number one. I knew what the transfer portal was going to do for us. Like I, I'm on record and I'm sticking to it. But man, I got a lot of help because who knew that we could recover from a lackluster first recruiting class like this, like this, yeah. this is, this is crazy what we can do after signing day. So um, I, I'm much more confident now. Yes. in that nine and three, I wish I had bet one of y'all, honestly, but yeah, cool. <laughs> honestly, I wouldn't I, have I, taken any bets until I'm I saw still not taking, so. I'm still not taking it. Listen, at the end of the day, this, this off, I mean, it's not defensively that I'm worried about. It's offensively that I'm worried about. Can we just score enough to win? Yeah. That's going to be the question. For, that's always going to be the question for me because I just haven't seen it. Um, we potentially have a quarterback controversy brewing right before the season starts. Um, and it's a brand new offense. Right. You know, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what uh, Shankopotamus just said. You know, it's yeah. a new offense too hard to learn in one year won't be impressive. I don't yeah. think that anybody is thinking 
uh, any different. Well, there are people who are thinking differently. They think changing system means that now all of a sudden, because we threaten defenses differently, that that means we're going to be this well-oiled machine. You still have to learn the plays. You got to figure out what's going on out there. Yeah. Nine and three reflects that to me, which is why I'm like, nah, I'm good. Eight and four. If we can get it and sneak out in eight and four, I'd be happy as long as in those losses, we either learned something. And then after that first loss, in the following losses, if it doesn't look like we're moving backwards, because nine and three to me says that some other team we expected to be good ended up not being anywhere near what we thought they were going to be. And I never like to. A&M, Jimbo. Yeah. I never <laughs> like to pontificate about that. So, like, I just think um, I think eight and four, seven and five, we can show progress at, any, at either one of those records. Uh, but I'm preaching and I can't stress it enough. Patience. With this in year one, I will I will show my frustration with every single one of you watching during the season. But just know that my expectation is that I may be frustrated as the season goes along. So, uh, Mike, we'll let me tell me you what you stuff. tell me when I'm making picks. Stop hedging your bets. I'm Pick not a record. What are we gonna be? <laughs> what are we gonna be, you. Mike? A and four. A and four. Are, no, are you no, saying no we're than going to be, or or is that your? I don't want your optimistic. I hope I'm eight and four. T- okay, eight and four. Eight and four. All right, eight and four. Listen, I I, I ain't hedging no bets because I ain't making no bets yet. Um, yeah, I haven't made any. We'll I have this. not made one definitive pick on anything. I've said a. The only thing I think I said definitively is I think that we're gonna break the um the uh, Death Valley curse this year. I think that we go to LSU and beat LSU. There was an LSU fan in the comments the other day saying that he thinks that uh, Auburn loses five games this year. Or no, I think what the the fan said specifically is that Auburn finishes somewhere between fifth and seventh in the SEC West mm. this year. Seventh is and, dead last. <laughs> yeah, and I was yeah. like, okay, <laughs> bad. Uh, well, all right. You know, listen, I'm not here to argue with you. I haven't made any picks. And then he subsequently said that he expects LSU to uh, finish like second in the West. Um, so I was like, oh, okay. So that's not a homer pick at all. Not that I'm doubting LSU's <laughs> talent, but I'm just saying you you did that based upon yeah. You did that based upon you know your love for LSU, not your realism, or based upon like how much work they actually need to do to get back up to being really good. Yeah. Um, you know, again, they lost a ton of talent. And they're turning over a new defensive coordinator. And when, uh, I ain't here to talk about LSU. Forget it. Yeah, because I was thinking Whatever. it too, but I, I didn't want to get off track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're here to talk about our defense and how it just got ridiculous in that defensive backfield. I am looking forward to when we get an opportunity. Um, we've been teasing this for a while, and I am going to figure out a way to get this in. When we get an opportunity to break down the position groups, what we have in that defensive backfield, and look at where people are starting to shake out. Um, you know, hopefully we get some some good um, communication from some of the insiders that we do have connection with that they can tell us kind of what practices are looking like and who's mm-hmm. playing in what positions. Um, and that'll help us inform you all better about what's happening and where people are lining up. Again, I want to say this wholeheartedly. We don't be at practices. I haven't been at a press conference. I haven't talked to any coaches behind the scenes. You know, we are not insiders and we don't pretend to be, but we do know some really great insiders who provide us with really great insight. Um, and so we just try to come out here and share that with you. We are really, we're an opinion show. We, I give you my opinion based upon the facts presented. That's about it. I ain't here to try to convince you um, that I, I should be a, uh, you know, a DB coach or a scouting uh, person for anybody's school. I'm just a guy who likes Auburn football and knows a little bit more than your average fan. So I try to share that while being educated by people who know a lot more than the average fan. Right? So.
Yo, what's up? This your man Ike Jones with The War Report, and you've been listening to The War Report Wednesday Night War Room. If you want to get in on the conversation early, catch us as we broadcast this show live on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central on YouTube. Make sure you check out our other content while you're there, Facts and All, The Weekend Tailgate, our player interview series, Building Report, going strong. All right, enough of that. Let's get back to the show. Our man Lawrence Robinson uh, is actually who inspired this topic for today. During that interview, Alan Green was talking, we asked him a little bit about the recruiting budget, right? So we've Mm. had a lot of people wondering kind of what's going to happen with the recruiting spending. And so we wanted to dive a little bit more into that. I just want to read the the comment actually that Lawrence said. Um, He asked, how did we process Green's answer as it related to recruiting? He seemed to indicate the coach actually had a lot of influence on how much gets spent on the um, the recruiting aspect, really like to see you guys unpack that a bit more. Right. Um, so here we are unpacking. This is was an interesting part of this interview. So um, when you go back and watch, I asked them a very pointed question about, you know, is there a plan to expand the budget to help accommodate us covering more ground in recruiting? And his answer was um, that uh, listen. We didn't have to talk about it because the expectation is championships. So we're right. going to go get the best athletes wherever they're at. But we know from talking to uh, to Jay for shout out to him, Justin Ferguson over at the Auburn Observer that um, our recruiting budget primarily consists of the travel costs associated with covering ground. Right. And the schools that ranked over us in terms of spend just cover more ground than we do because they're, you know, Bama, Georgia, they're recruiting more nationally. And when you're staying regionally, you don't have to spend as much money. Right. So we got outspent by some schools two and a half to one. Right. And that's, that's a big disparity, but they're also finishing better in recruiting. You know, and so, you know, my question to him, you know, uh, you know, we talked about resources, the coach having the resources to do what they need to do. You know, and I mean, I, I felt like he kind of felt like like uh, like uh, like my dad, like, you know, listen, money doesn't grow on trees, son. Um, <laughs> but uh, he also is like just because something may not be in the initial budget doesn't mean it's a no. Right. It just means to justify that, the cost. Yeah. yeah the, Give me the a coach, reason why it makes sense and we'll make it happen. Right. The coach has to justify what it is. But he also kind of intimated that the initial allocation of funds is largely up to the coach and a light bulb went off in my head. Our last coach chose to pay salaries rather than to go recruit. And then when he didn't produce consistently going back to the well to say, I need more money was a non-starter for the people holding the purse strings. Yep. Now, that's not what Alan Green said. That is my complete and utter speculation. Yeah. This, this is, you know, what, he, what, what Lawrence asked for. What was our take on what he said? Listen, go back, listen to the interview. Take right. your own, like, what I would recommend you doing is go listen to two things for us. Yes, I am plugging our own content right here. Go listen to the Justin Ferguson um, interview mm. and then go listen to the Alan Green interview and then put together the information that you hear about the numbers with what Alan Green said about his philosophy around how he wants his coaches in his programs to basically run their own business unit. Like the football program, you're the CEO of the football thing. You tell me how you want to spend your money. Submit your budget. Tell me what it's going to take. Justify your numbers. And we'll get that approved if it makes sense to me. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Same yeah. thing goes for all the other coaches. That's what he's asking for uh, Bruce Pearl to go do with basketball. We've seen Bruce Pearl hasn't had any problem landing recruits, right? Because right. for some reason, Bruce Pearl went and said, hey, this is my justification for what I need to go get talent that's going to bring a winning program back here to Auburn. BP is landing, guys. Yeah, but he came in and he worked with what he showed competency with what he had first. Yep. Yeah. And then the ass gets easier because they understand that you're a good steward over what you're asking for. Right. Right. And again, in listening to what Alan Green said, and then, you know, with Jay Ferg dropping knowledge on us about recruiting budgets and travel budgets, I think that if you are landing top nine talent year in and year out, but consistently finishing outside the top 20, you haven't proven that you know what to do with top 10 talent. That even when we're getting outspent, technically the return on the return that they were getting, you know, uh, per dollar spent was incredible. Yeah. A top nine recruiting class while being outspent two and a half dollars to one yeah. is pretty good. The, but this is the SEC that that was only good enough for what we were. Are we ninth in the SEC in recruiting spend mm -hmm. for as much as we spent? But, you know, we ranked higher than that in average class. Uh, you know, uh, so there's some geographical uh, um, limitations with some of the other schools because they do not live in fertile recruiting grounds. Right. right. And I just think that this new coach, because uh, if you're not going to win back the state, you're going to have to go out. I mean, that one thing is clear to me. We cannot keep losing the state to Saban like we have been. I think and that's then, the sadder part. Like, if you look at that, like, you're not going out. Like, Georgia and Florida, of course, were, were places where we were really heavy. You can see that by the yeah. number of people we got from those places. But if you're not going to win your home, your, your backyard, and you're not going to go outside of your region, and mm -hmm. you're still going to lose football games in the fall, don't you think you need to change your strategy on where yeah. you're picking up players? I mean, like, we talk yeah. about this when it comes to, like, uh, a dating pool, right? Yeah, we were getting, you know, four and five star recruits, but like <laughs> we we restricted ourselves to the people who were four and five in this geographic region. Right. Right. Like, uh, you know, again, bring it to the dating pool. A, a nine in Birmingham, Alabama ain't a nine in Miami, Florida. Right. Facts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, you look good compared to the girls that's around here. But when you get outside of that pool, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Mm, yeah, might I feel a little something different over yeah, here. Uh, yeah, I mean, nice, nice in one spot is not nice somewhere else, right? And yeah. I, I just really feel like um, looking, digging into that statement again. Shout out to Lawrence for asking that question because it really made me think. And um, you never want to speculate too much about what somebody means when they say. But what I heard was is, is that as long as the coach we hired produces. And, and manages what he's given, we will find a way to support his vision. Right. That's what I heard. And what what happens with um, the, the way the pay structures are and coaches get paid more incrementally per year. Um, Parsons mm -hmm. contract does that. I don't remember the details of the assistant coaches, but I'm guessing that there's something like that for them too. I mean, cost of living for everybody. Um, so what happens is you start off where you're at, you increase incrementally, um, 10%, 15%, whatever. But what that allows you to do is if you can come in and like Mike is always saying, work with what you've got. 
All right. Mm. You, you were shorthanded this year. You do your best. You're in the portal, hitting it hard, getting guys in, flushing out the guys who don't want to fall in line. So you can put a decent product together. Now, does that decent product look like seven and five or 10 and two? We don't know yet, but it doesn't really matter as long as you show enough to keep the fan base excited. Because what happens is you surprise a couple of people in conference. Let's say we do get to my magic number of nine and three. Let's say you beat George at home and let's say you win at Penn State. You've made a really big impression, even if you lose the rest of them. That's fine. You lost LSU, you lose to Bama, you lose A&M. You've done enough to show some competency. You've done something that we couldn't really do, which is beat quality teams on the road. And you've beaten Georgia because we couldn't do that before either. Right. What happens from there is that the fan base is excited. You get a bowl game. You get a bowl game that's a decent bowl game because you lost to some really good teams. And you know what? Instead of laying an egg in the bowl game, how about you win the bowl game? Against nice. somebody who you, who you didn't play in the regular season. So another team that's at least good. I mean, if we are finishing fifth in our conference, then we're going to play the number two or three team in somebody else's Power Five conference. Right, right. That's an opportunity to show big. What happens after that is the fan base is excited. You can say, you guys did pretty good. We've got some more energy going. Bruce Pearl didn't recruit uh, five-star guys and, and make that run to the Final Four. There weren't five-star guys on that roster. There were decent guys. He as the coach, did an outstanding job. And now the next time a five-star guy comes along, they say, listen, I saw what you did with those guys. Right? Mm-hmm. Can you do that for me? I'm listening. Bruce Pearl said after that, I could get in the room with guys that wouldn't even talk to us before because I got us to that Final Four. Right. You sell more merch. Now the athletic department, more money rolling mm-hmm. in. You can justify the increase in, in ticket prices. Do you know what ticket prices were when we were there for basketball? I can go in free in, in the second free. quarter. Free. Free. They didn't free, care because yeah. nobody just wanted to be there. Just ID come on in because they needed bodies in the building. They yeah. needed people in the stands to cheer for Auburn. Do you think you can get in for free now? Man, no. I checked on that about three. I forgot what the price was. But I was like, no way. We'll watch it on TV. <laughs> no way. But yeah. all of it starts to build up. When you have a little success, you build on it and you build on it. Revenue starts coming in by the boatload because now you're keeping your promise as the coach. You're elevating the program. The interest is high. The revenue is high. The bowl births help you out. And now that spin that you're asking, when you tell Alan Green you want to do a little bit something extra that you didn't do before, listen, we've got, we want to run a camp, but we want to bring in guys from, from California, all West Coast. So we're talking, yeah, Idaho and Oregon and Washington. And then maybe he goes, you know what? That, that would have been a bit much a year ago. But let's look at our revenue sheet because you guys did great. Yeah. You justified right. the spin that you're asking for right now. So I'm going to give you that. And it, and it all builds up, man. Yeah, listen. It, it, the thing about this, too, is that um, the problem that we had before is that it was up and down. And so right. I can't confidently say what product is going to be hitting the field next year. So I don't know how to how to approve that budget. It's like, yeah, that looked good last year but then the next you know you don't have a track record of being consistently at a level then i can't consistently predict year to year what i'm going to be able to approve for you right 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 yeah i mean i I, what it really boils down to is um if you if you don't know how to manage what you have giving you more is not going to be the solution right correct right you know it's it's the same thing when people want to just throw money at a problem to solve it rather than learning how to manage money you are bad with money. More money is not going to solve your problems. Right. Yep. 
i.e. USC, Mm -hmm. Southern Cal, i.e. Texas. We're talking powerhouses who have always had resources because of their alum bases to just throw, hey, who's the hot coach? Just go get him. How's that worked out? Yeah, it just doesn't work, right? So um, they decided to take a different approach. And then when people acted shocked about the coaching change, to me, it was just like, but you have eight years of sample size to say, this is probably the best it's going to get. So if the expectation is championships, it's time to make a change, right? Because yep. you have eight years that says you're, you may be in the discussion for a championship every four or five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still stand by him coming out and saying that last year's uh, record was solid was basically the nail in the coffin for him. When he got mm-hmm. into a press conference and he was like, that's a solid season. It was like, yeah, you, you don't have a right mindset. <laughs> yeah. You should have came out here mad and you didn't. Yeah. That ain't what we want to have seen happen here. Apparently, uh, I guess this is directed at Mike, that your microphone looks like a hookah. Um, so that's what's up. Lovely cast. Thank you for that. Um, Walt, yes, my wife does watch the show and she is uh, going to be a dime no matter where she is. So it doesn't matter. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, I just I just think I, it was it was telling. Right. When we, again, when we do these interviews and we, we, we really go in looking for insight. So that we can understand what we're watching. Um, and what I hope everybody takes away from that interview is, is that there is a business-like method that Carson is bringing in, right? He demands greatness. We have an AD who demands greatness. Um, now, he did. He had some, you know, he said he worked with us. He said it was a difficult decision to make the change. But um, the other thing from that interview that I think is telling when you talk about recruiting spend is... The feeling when they evaluated things near the end of the season was that there wasn't the hope around the program. His words. That they would have liked. That's verbatim. There wasn't the hope around the program. You know, and when you don't have hope, you don't have a lot of things in this in this in this business. Right. Because as a fan, if I'm going to sit down to watch a game and invest emotionally and I already don't have hope. I'm turning the game off at halftime. I don't even care enough to be mad. Yeah. Right? If there's no hope. But we we hold on to hope. Because when I sit down to watch Auburn, and, and sometimes people ask me, why do you get so upset about football? Right? Because I have a deep sense of hope that we're going to pull it out every right. Saturday, no matter what. And when you consistently fall short of that, Hope goes away. Yeah, last season was sad for us to be on here talking about games that we knew we were going to lose. Right. Yeah, yeah it was. I mean, was it's sad. crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. literally, we consensus, guys, we're not going to win this. You know, and then somebody would make the homer pick like, yeah, I don't really believe this, but I'm going to pick over. <laughs> yeah, I did that in the Bama game. I was just like, you know what? Just, just in case. Auburn. <laughs> but I don't think this is a real thing. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, not having hope. It's difficult. So when you try to quantify that in terms of recruiting spend, imagine that. Imagine spending a bunch of money on something that you don't have any hope for. Yikes. Right? That's going to be really hard. And this isn't monopoly money, man. You're talking about millions of dollars. Right. Dollars that you have to try to pull from boosters Mm -hmm. who are not satisfied with what their investment is being like. Yeah, well, okay, we need a... 
in order for us to get from this $900,000 spend up into the $2 million spend that some of these other places are, we need you to chip in another $50,000 this year. And you're like, what did you do with the last 50 I gave you? Yeah, right. right. And lose to Tennessee. I mean, what? In South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, have you ever had a friend asking for money, right? And then you gave it to them. And then two weeks later, they needed the same amount of money. It was like, well, what happened to the money I gave you like two weeks ago? Yeah. Did, was right. that not enough to help you solve your problem? Most of the time, that's because you don't have an issue with money. You have an issue with mindset. Yeah. I just think this is um, teach a man to fish type stuff here, right? Instead of give him a fish, <laughs> And uh, we'll see where Harson goes with it. But my my feeling, my gut feeling is, is that if he can just show more competency offensively, like if, if Auburn can score another seven, eight points a game on average, if we're in the 30s, the mid 30s, and, you know, th- that will bring a lot of hope back to this program. Right. Yeah. How many games did we lose where we could not muster three touchdowns? Yeah. Right. It's, like it, it made it really difficult. Again, if you've never been to the game day or the in-season experience for us. On mm-hmm. Wednesdays, we typically give you our uh, predictions of what we feel like is going to happen on Saturday, and then we'll do like a final pick with score predictions and all that kind of stuff. Um, it made it hard, man. It yeah. was very hard was to put hard. a score on these games because you're like, I don't know what offense is going to show up this week, especially if we were on the road. It's like, I don't I don't know what offense is going to be on no. the field today, so I can't even tell you how many points we're going to score. And then when you change coaches, right, it, it, there's a certain amount of hope that just comes back that the change will bring something different. Right. Right. And that's where we're at right now. Now, I'm trying to temper that. Like, hey, guys, we can be hopeful, but let's still be realistic that it may take this coach some time to build up to his vision. Right. Yeah. You know, um, please do not expect a repeat of 2013. I'll take it, but only if he can sustain that. He can't sustain that. If he can't sustain 10-2 or better every year, I, I, I just know interest, man. That, that, again, gives us that false sense of hope just for us to go into the next season with that expectation. Yeah. Right? And then you're following. I would rather see him do what Bruce Pearl did and build it year by year until it reaches a consistent state of excellence. Yeah. Rather than an inconsistent state of flux. Right. Right. And then when you see a season that is a losing season like last year, you say to yourself, that's not the norm. Right. Like that's OK. That's that's a blip. But yeah. when you see, you know, a, a losing season in the previous regime, you're like or you see, a, excuse me, he never had a losing season. So let's be clear. Nobody's saying that Gus Malzahn was a trash. Coach. I just don't feel like he perceived. I'm not saying that. Excuse <laughs> me. I'm not saying nobody's saying. All right, all right. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that he did not perform up to the expectations that he set for himself in the initial portions of his career at Auburn. You put us up here on this high and you never let us get back to that place um, consistently. You, it was a roller coaster. Yeah. Somebody said Jekyll and Hyde was the act in, in yeah, and exactly what it again, was. Again, can't be, again, because we're talking about investment, right? Even from the university side, if you move away from recruiting, paying a football coach is a major investment. And right. we were paying him to be the sixth highest Premium. paid coach in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I'm going to say it again for the people to back, the sixth highest paid coach in the country. To produce what? 
Right. Exactly. I mean, I just think that if you're going to spend, if you're going to recruit top 10 recruiting classes and you're going to pay a coach like he's a top 10 coach, that should produce top 10 results. And to Barney Nice point here, he's saying, yeah, Gus made it uh, to the natty and he spoke as if, hey, you know what? Our expectations are championships. We never made it to the playoff. Yeah. And then he went Not and once. screwed Bo and said, oh, this kid is going to win championships before he leaves there. He went and put that on him. Right. And everybody bought it. And you put him on a pedestal that he only was going to fall off of because you did not have the required skill set to help him get to that lofty expectation that you set. Yeah. Right. He's oh, the- me make sure uh, I, I want to address this comment directly. Uh, I love my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the War Report Podcast. You can support us by visiting our merchandise store. You can find links to the merchandise store on Facebook and the About section on our YouTube channel. If you would like access to more premium content, visit us on YouTube and click join to become an insider. War Eagle, and now back to more of the show. Oh, man. Um, yes, uh, to Derek. Uh, uh, yes. Derek's point. Yes, the SEC shorts video about the roller coaster that it is to be an AU fan is probably the most accurate thing I've ever seen. Yeah. On Auburn football. That video is hilarious. I highly recommend you go check it out. I've lived down here since I came down here for college in 02. And I can tell you the 2012 season was the most bleak season. And it's not just because, I mean, I think we all kind of checked out once we realized we were really bad. It was a home game. I think we played Arkansas at home. And I'm telling you, the streets were barren. It it was in October. It was late October. And, you know, the jig was already up. The season was going to be terrible. But what it did to the city, like you, we've had bad years under Gus. We've lost games we shouldn't have lost. And it was disappointing. And it's like, man, your Saturday's ruined. And then your phone starts blowing up from your Bama friends and family. And you're like, oh, <laughs> here we go with this. 2012 was the first time I saw that impact the football team had on the city, on the surrounding area. Not only with the energy and, and you know, how students felt. Forget that. I worked on campus. The mm. energy from the students, like, it brings them down. It's so hard to have... Students come together and get excited. Man, this is an SEC school. They come here for football. Every year, I worked in the summer orientation program and helped organize that, the main uh, building on campus. Our biggest intake year, I remember this distinctly, was the summer of 2005 after 2004. Next biggest one, um, it, it kind of, that was a high at the time, and then it, it metered off. And then, of course, the summer of 2011 after 2010. 2014, we set records. And enrollment after every really good football season. Do you know Mm. what that does financially for the university? The investment in a quality football program, it makes everything else fluid. The city, the the student population, um, the the buildings, everybody, that energy just, just goes throughout every part of the university. And having somebody bring it down for the last four years, it was detrimental. It was terrible for the university. And we are hoping that whether it's just recruit, it doesn't have to just be recruiting spin. Like Mike said, you can just do better with what we had. We got guys. We've had guys do better with the guys we've got. This coach is doing a good job of 
supplementing with some some guys that he likes. It doesn't even have to be the best product. We don't have to get to the playoffs this year. Show us that you can be competent. When we step out on the field, that we are going to compete. And even if we don't expect to win, that we can expect to give our best effort and compete and not get embarrassed. That's all we're asking for. And the city and the school will be better off because of it. Yeah, you said it right when you say the city, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's crazy. In towns like Auburn, the football coach carries the hopes of a community. Yes. Right. right? Um, Do you remember, Ike, what um, campus was like during that 2004 season? Everything was lit. People yeah. spend money when they're happy and we're yeah. winning. I mean, everybody's going out to, to the bars after the bars game. Bars are making money. Know, like, yeah. it's depressing on campus after a tough loss. Man. Like, people oh, are still going to go out and party because it's a college town. The mm-hmm. energy's just different, though. It's when so you're winning, bro. It's bad. That's so different. Is way different, man. So, so when we were in Pasadena for the national title game, I felt so bad for the city of Pasadena because you had a city full of Auburn fans. And, and and none of us wanted to spend any money after we lost. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we <laughs> spent the time after the game. Me and Caesar uh, packed it up, and we're like, "All right, let's head back to the room. This is uh, this is not it." So imagine that in the, in our own atmosphere, right? It's tough. I was in uh, on the scoreboard filming for USC versus Auburn 2003 when they came in here and blank goose egged us. That's the quietest I've ever heard eighty something thousand people after the game. And so you really do. They carry the hopes of a community because the businesses that operate in those communities benefit from a program that is thriving and doing well. They do, especially during the fall. A lot of the money those businesses make are made August through January. Yep. You know, this is an important job, man. Our football coach should be a community leader. I think Gus was that, though. Right. Like, I I mean, he really was very charitable. Right. Which, you know, Gianna Hahn talked about that, like his wife was a big part of making sure that the community was was had that connectivity to the program via the of Malzahn family. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Christy Malzahn, you know, was very, very active in the community and was, you know, a player favorite. Um, she was just involved in families and, and things of that nature. But I mean, at the end of the day, hope wasn't there. And when you're talking about money, nobody is spending a bunch of money on something you don't have any hope for. And that's really what it boils down to. I think that that was one of the most, that was the thing that stood out the most to me about that interview with, with, with Alan Green. I mean, he's a class act, so he's never going to dog anybody out or speak ill. But he just said, listen, man, we evaluated it and there wasn't the hope that you would look for. And I, and I mean, that was so powerful to me that I was just like, wow, okay, I get it. I get it. Because my question was, listen, you spent $21 million to get rid of the last guy. Mm. Why? And his answer was hope. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, hope, lack of hope was a reason for them to, you know, to pony up the money they did to, to go out and find hope in somebody else. So, you know, Brian Harson, if you're listening, listen, all, all we're asking for is hope. It doesn't have to be a perfect season. It doesn't have to be a natty. Right. Yeah. It doesn't even have yeah. to be an SEC championship. We just want hope that it could be that one day. Mm. Yeah. Just let us see the effort on the field. Yeah. Put put a quality product out there, man. Yeah. Uh, So now let's talk about this expansion since everybody wants to get into that. Uh, The playoff committee met to talk about the potential expansion of the playoff and the possibilities of having that expansion. And they said they are leaning towards a 12 team playoff. 
Oh, man, what? B-Will was not here when we talked a little bit about this on the Sunday show. I'm going to let B-Will start with his thoughts on expanding the playoffs. 12 teams is what they're saying is where they're likely going to land right now. B-Will, the floor is yours, sir. I like it. Oh, I like it. I think it's going to be good. You know why it's going to be good? Because we are still, what's happening is, so everybody thought eight would be where they went. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of eight. I like the idea of eight because four is not enough. You're still just choosing the people who you think are going to sell the most tickets and get the most views on TV. So if it's ever subjective, they let OSU in when they didn't win their conference. They let Bama in when they didn't win their conference. Um, They're still playing favorites. All right. The problem that I have with that's that's the problem that I have with four. With eight, I liked it better because I figured, all right, you're going to give the other uh, power five conferences a shot. So if Oklahoma didn't have a great year, it doesn't matter. Um, if they win their conference, they'll get in. If somebody from the Pac-12 has a just, you know, terrible, you know, like what they usually do, doesn't matter. At least one of you losers will get in. Great. You get to get beat up on the big stage. The problem with eight, now that somebody brought this up, is you are guaranteeing Notre Dame a spot every single year with eight. And with 12 as well, but... With eight, Notre Dame is taking the spot of somebody who may really, really deserve it. And here's what I mean by that. The last time I remember a team that did not get a chance to play for a national championship that really, really deserved to, us in 2004, of course. But after that, Georgia in 2007. They went on a crazy run at the end of that year. They went, it was, uh, Noshawn was there and Stafford was there and their defense was really good because Mark Richt, in true Georgia form, had a that team, and he could never get them to play consistently every week in, in any season. So they lost a couple games early in the season. Yep. So what happened was they just murdered everybody after a certain point. But what happened also was an LSU team who in the BCS area, every, everybody was just favored preseason. And if you just looked good while you were losing, you still got favored. They lost two games that year, but they won the conference. Two games won the conference and they still got in. And Georgia did not because Georgia did not win the conference. That was 2007? I think it was 2007. Yeah, check yeah. my math. Check my math. Yeah, because yeah, they amazing. were the first two lost champion. Right, they were. They were. Yeah. I think what happens if you have eight is for one, for each champion, you're going to have somebody in the SEC who went through the entire conference, a much more competitive schedule top to bottom. There is no question. I don't even think that's debatable. All right. The only person who has a comparable draw to us playing Georgia and Bama and LSU and now A&M, now that they're shaping up, is LSU because they have to play Florida on the other side every year. You have to play a team. Florida now has a decent coach. Georgia doesn't have a decent coach, but they got good talent. That is a built-in gauntlet. And are you telling me you're going to leave us out if we lose to a close game to Bama and, I don't know, Georgia? It's like, man, come if we're going to talk about who deserves it, we would have more evidence that we deserve it even if we lost two games. Other teams who have won their conference, like the Pac-12, which Mike hates, you could have, I don't know, UCLA from the South wins the Pac-12 and they're in, but Auburn's out. I don't like that. I don't like that. And in an 18 playoff, Notre Dame is always going to get one of those spots because nine out of 10 seasons, they are better than everybody on their schedule. Recruiting talent-wise and... Coaching, he's all right, coach. I don't love him either. 
So with them not being in a conference, they get to backdoor their way into any 18 playoff because five are going to be conference winners, one at large for the group of five, if you want to be that. And then they're going to give you two at large, um, um, one for the group of five, and then two remaining is always going to be Notre Dame. And I hate that. I, I don't want Notre Dame getting in there. I hope that the 12 team playoff opens the door to so many other people. I'm glad it gives the top four people a buy in that in that structure that they're talking about. The top four teams get a buy. The five through twelve, you guys fight it out. That's fine because everybody would say you don't deserve to be here anyway. You get your shot. Give these people their shot. That's all I want. You get your shot. If it's A and M last year, hey, we deserved. Here's your shot. If it's Florida last year, you know what? You got a good case. Here's your shot. Beat up on somebody. Cincinnati was this close to beating Georgia. Last year in the bowl season. You know what? Here's your shot. I absolutely believe that upsets will happen. I believe that a nine can be the eight. I believe it's completely possible that the 12 could be the five, depending on how it goes. It. I want chaos, and I, I'm tired of this, this structure. It's still the haves and the have-nots. And I want the haves to be on the same field as the have-nots and prove that they deserve to get that favorite, to get that nod that they get every year. Maybe Alabama's proven that. Okay, fine. Georgia hasn't. I don't think anybody else has proven that outside of Clemson and Alabama at this point. Everybody else should have to prove it. And I still want Bama to have to prove it every year, even if they have proved it up to this point. Because every year is a different year. Every team is a different team. I want everybody to prove it. And there's some coach that's going to make the 10 spot with his team. That is a better coach than somebody that's two or three or four because he never gets a chance to show what he can do. He never gets a chance to put his guys on the field. Can you imagine the UCF team from 2017 getting a shot? Maybe they're number nine. Everybody, like, oh, they don't have a shot. They didn't play anybody. Okay. They beat us. We would have been in, in a 12-game playoff in 2017. We would have gotten beat. I don't know who else would have gotten beat. We never let them play. Finally, give people a shot. The only thing I don't like, you've got to take one game off the regular season schedule. That's too many games. Yeah, I was going to bring this up. Barney Knight said um, <clears throat> you have to have less regular. So here's, and, and a lot of people are saying make Notre Dame join a conference. Here's what I would be in yeah. favor of if they want to have that many um, playoff games is go back to a structure where you're playing all conference games, right? Maybe, you know, one warm up game and then the rest of them are in conference and that would force a team like Notre Dame to have to join a conference because they can't just bounce around and play whoever they want to, right? So you force them to join a conference, have one less uh, game during the regular season, and then convert some of these bowl games into um, playoff games, right? And make the playoff, um, excuse me, those bowl experiences worth something again. Right. That's the only way I see something like that work. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on it? I know you're not in favor of it, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think there, there are a couple things for me, right? Like, um, I think part of the beauty of college football is, is that I think college football has the most meaningful <coughs> and impactful regular season of for any sure. sport. Where every game means more, just means so much. And the idea that you could lose one game and be out of it is something that keeps it so exciting from week to week. Um, and if you expand to a 12-team playoff, I think that you water that down quite a bit. No, um, I think that's, that's I think also what you do with uh, a 12-team playoff is is that you reduce the incentive that that a lot of the big guys have to go and play tough non-conference opponents for sure during the season, yeah. right? Like Absolutely. so, that's um, fair. Uh, uh, that's yeah, fair, right? So that's fair. watch the cupcakes. I mean, because if I'm if I'm in the SEC, I'm not I'm not going out and risking 
Yeah, you lot, don't uh, see an Auburn injury. versus Penn State game. In yeah, a- you're not seeing that game, right? There's not a lot of incentive for, for us to go play that game in a 12-team playoff. Uh, so I would say that is the other thing. I thought that at eight teams, you could still kind of maintain some of that integrity in terms of the meaningfulness and impactfulness of the uh, of game week to week during the regular season. Um, uh, you know, some of the teams that Brian's talking about, I think in an 18 playoff, those teams get in. Right. And if you can't get me into an 18 playoff, we just didn't deserve to be there. It doesn't matter how many times to how big you expand. There's always going to be a team with a gripe right on the outside. For sure. You're never going you're never going to avoid that. Right. So, you know, I would like to see I would like to see more teams than currently can get in because the committee has proven to us that uh, because that one that they missed feels so egregious right now. When Notre Dame got in, it just felt so egregious because they quite clearly did not belong there. And they, they, in, in what they thought was an objective way, tried, you know, tried to make a case for why Notre Dame should have been in there. When the truth was, regardless of the regular season outcome, Texas A&M was a better team. Right? And when I say the regular season outcome, I mean their game versus Bama. I don't care if you don't want to see a rematch. If we're really picking the best four, Texas A&M should have been in there. And Notre Dame showed us why. Right after. So, like, expand to eight. Mikey's no more than that tonight, apparently. Yeah. Uh, uh, so like span to eight, right? Like uh, leave it at that and let's move on from it. Twelve is a lot. And I'm telling you, you, you think that it, there'll be upsets. And what I think is more likely you're going to see a bunch of garbage games by some team who objectively wasn't even top 12, but made it in because we expanded to 12. I think you can make a really good case for finding the best eight teams almost every year, right? That way, if Notre Dame gets in where they should be at like eight or something, that's just barely, they got to prove it versus a one in the first round, and then we could just be done with it and move on. I think it would be interesting to see where a team like Notre Dame would fall if it were an eight-team playoff and they're not yeah. trying to force them up into the top four. It's like, right. it's clear you're not the fourth best team, but we do want to see you in the playoff. All right, great. Go play the number one team. And well, team, yeah, right. Because, and that's the advantage to going in as the one seed, right, in any tournament. Mm-hmm. Your first round is supposed to be a cakewalk. I'll take a serving of Notre Dame, please, <laughs> if I'm the number one. So that's all I'm saying, man. I, I just feel like college football is, um, you know, and King's in the chat, so like he'll remember this. Um, that I remember that 2006 season, right, um, where we went 11-2 um, and two that year. I want to say it was 11-2 that year. And they, yeah, yo, yeah. we beat Florida in the regular season, right? And I remember, uh, I think we lost it in the, uh, we didn't even make it. Somehow we didn't even make it to the conference championship that year. God, what happened at the end of that season? Was it 2006 I mean, we, the season where we, no, I remember. We got surprised by Arkansas and Georgia at home. We lost Arkansas and Georgia at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We lost two games. And because Florida, I remember King telling me, um, <laughs> don't remind me, Mike. <laughs> I remember him <laughs> telling me that after they beat Florida that year, the Florida players were like, we, 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 we'll holler at y'all again in the SEC championship. And then we never made it. Right. Stumbled, and yeah. um, while we were on the wrong end of that, right, the impactfulness of those games is just so much higher. 
when you limit the amount of teams that can actually make it. Okay, right? so here, here's here's what I, that is patently false, and I'm gonna tell you why that's patently false. Okay, if every season, every game in the regular season matters because it determines who plays in the championship game, automatic bids are determined by the championship games, right? So your only path to absolutely getting in the playoff, no questions asked, is winning your conference championship, right? Is that what they're saying in this rule, or is that just something you just pulled out of your ass? No, that's like, the, the premise that? was automatic bids for conference champions. Okay. So by, by that qualification, every game still matters because you have to win your conference championship to get in no questions asked. It's if you don't win your conference championship— like uh, in 2019, we kept Bama out of the national uh, out of the playoff because they absolutely they were looking for any excuse to put Bama in there. It's just that Matt Jones, inexperienced, made some mistakes. We capitalized. Bam, two losses. Oh well, they're not the same team without Tua. We had to create doubt, even though we knew Bama wasn't as good without Tua Tagovailoa at quarterback. But we had to do that to keep them out. Because right, they so didn't that win game was super meaningful. So that su- game was super meaningful. It was, but you just said one game you lose it. But no, it took two because that's Bama. They still had that favoritism. Right. We yeah. had to beat them twice. That didn't make it wasn't one loss to LSU and you're out. It was you get yeah, another well, try because you're Bama. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. I, you're missing my point, man. You're way off in La La Land right now. All I'm saying is, is, is that if, if in that in your scenario in a 12 team playoff, Bama gets in and that loss to us doesn't matter. That's, that's my fine. point. Right, I, I don't mind Bama getting want, in if they're want, one of the twelve best teams. Man, I want to maintain the suspense that comes with you know, hey, because right now as a two loss team, you can, it is still really hard to get into the playoff as a two two loss team. It is still really hard to get into the playoff as a two loss team. You just got to have a tough schedule. If you have a tough enough schedule, absolutely. In 2017, yeah. if we beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, we're in no question. Which does asked. what? It makes all those games that you play to a point more impactful. Right? We lost but if two you go games. to 12, if you go to 12, it is not as impactful. It just is not. It is not as impactful because somebody with a mediocre schedule is going to get a, a mediocre record is going to get in. Wait, time out. Okay, so here's here was the other half of that. Every game does not is not critically important because what's happening now in the playoffs? Are all they all just barn burners? Every game's competitive, huh? Every playoff like, series that has existed, at least two of the three games have been blowouts. At least two of three games have been blowouts. Whatever comp competitive game you envision you're saving by... You're talking uh, about the playoffs. I'm talking about the regular season. What? No, no, no. Stop. I'm talking you about the said, impactfulness of game to game in the regular season. mediocre teams would get in. Did you not? If we expand right. to 12. What is so, right. Why is that bad? I don't want to see mediocre teams. I want why? to see the so, best okay, teams. Okay, okay. You don't want to see that, mediocre that's teams. That's still a problem with the four-team playoff is what B. Will's point is. because That is yeah, still yeah, a problem. Yeah, the four-team, yeah, 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 it's sure. still, yeah, whether it's they're top tier or they're super talented, they are still getting blown out. This whole idea, oh, they're not good enough. Why? The teams that are supposedly good enough are getting their ass whooped. So who are you saving by letting other teams in there to play? Not the absolute dog. We're not going yeah, one versus eight, 12. Not 12. We're going just five eight, not versus 12. 12. I'm not, there, I'm not advocating for no expansion. The only I'm not difference advocating is, for no expansion. The I'm only difference is 12 is too many. With five versus 12, if you go full 12, the only difference is that many more bowl games are actually meaningful. 
So instead of turning on the Hawaii Bowl on December 27th and seeing two teams you absolutely care nothing about, you're going to see a number five team hopefully take care of a number 12 team and get ready to play a team that actually was the runner up in this power five conference championship game teams that were on our radar, but dropped a game or two. And so you're telling me you rather watch uh, San Diego State play Hawaii than watch last year Texas A&M play? No, I'm not watching so, it anyway. Here, here, here's the thing. Um, I think the advocation of four versus 12 versus eight versus 12 is, right. is almost, I mean, so my question to you, B-Will, because this is where Mike is advocating, okay. is eight too few. Because I don't, I don't think anybody's agreeing that four is enough. Uh, yeah, well, I, I agree right. four is not enough. Yeah, I'm saying so is twelve is too, too many. Is, is see, Mike is saying twelve is too many? We will is eight too few. I don't think eight is too few teams if we could actually trust the panel to be objective. But because so, we okay, know he, they can't be, that's he, it. Here's where here's where your argument falls apart for me. The panel exists whether it's eight teams or twelve teams. They're going to mm-hmm. get it wrong whether it, they they have eight shots at it or 12 shots at it. Mm-hmm. So you want to give them four more shots to get it wrong. Yes, because they'll get it right, two of those four. And we'll get teams that actually had a chance to prove something. Year after year. You don't year, think that that will happen with eight? With eight, no. I think it's still too few because we're talking automatic bids for the Power Five. That's five gone mm-hmm. already. So what if they get rid of the automatic bids? <sighs> I like it's just the bids. Unless it's just the eight best teams, regardless of whether you win your conference championship or not. Yeah, right? Because the Pac-12 use... can stop crying if you do automated bids. That's it. I don't the care Pac-12 about the Pac-12 and Big 12, 12 but they're still yeah. a part of the Power Five, and they want to satiate everybody. Yeah, I'm going on record is I don't I don't give a, a, a darn about automatic <laughs> bids. <laughs> Right, I do not care about automatic. Mama Gibbs like is in the chat today. At least she was earlier, so yeah, we gotta yeah. mind our matters. Yeah, yeah. Here, I don't, I don't care about automatic bids. Right, like yeah. I just think you pick the best eight or twelve or whatever, however many. Uh, ask B, he'll turn it into the NCAA tournament. We'll play a sixty-four team <laughs> playoff. But like, um, I, I think that um, again, stressing, I believe that we should expand it. Right. But I think at eight teams, you have a better shot of maintaining that regular season tension from game to game that if we lose this, we might be out, you know, and it still keeps the pressure on people to schedule tough non-conference games. Because if you lose two and you did not have a tough non-conference, you might not get in. The the only thing I will say about the automatic bid thing and we got to get out of here is that. Let's say you are an undefeated Alabama going into the SEC championship game, playing against a two-loss SEC East champion, mm-hmm. and there's no automatic bid. So you know losing this game does not impact your ability right. to get into the college football playoff. Right. Do you take that game off and say, I don't have to win this to get in, right? I can, right. I, we, can, we, can we can mail this because I don't care about the SEC championship. I want the national title. Do, do you see teams start to sandbag championship um, week? Yeah, and that, now, now the championship sun, or Saturdays have less impact on the overall. Um, yeah, how much happen. does the SEC championship matter if you know the runner-ups getting in the playoff regardless? Right? Now, there is still we are the champions of the SEC that should mean something. But at the end of the day— well, It, it means more to me if you are the team that is the runner-up 
that is well has the worst record, right? Right, you right. Or, yeah, you know, you you need to win that game. But right. If you're, if you're going win. in there yeah. undefeated or a one loss team, and you're guaranteed to get into the playoff regardless. Yeah, why, why you I care are, about this? Yeah, game? I mean, but in, in our conference, I'm not so sure if you're the SEC runner up and, and you and you lose. Right, like if you had the worst record, what is that? Is that two losses versus one loss? You're probably well, still getting in a twelve-team playoff. Yes, but I'm saying if you have the better record, do you care about that game? Okay, yeah, okay, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's tough, and you're likely going to be the one seed anyway. Right, right. right? So why do so I care be, if you're we resting, win? Right. Am yeah. I just going to rest my guys? Because it doesn't matter the outcome of this game. It's not a play-in game anymore. Yeah, it ruins the integrity of the competition. When one team can say we're already in, so we'll have to try our hardest, right? And a team that was maybe on the bubble who absolutely needed to win that game is not playing as tough competition. Right, right, right. You know, and, and, and that's all I'm saying. I just think, again, you keep it at eight and you, you have at least a chance to keep that tension in the regular season and on those championship games. Does anybody remember 2003 when... Um, um, going into that championship game it was the Big 12 championship. Um, and um, I believe it was 2003. Oklahoma got blown out in their championship game by Kansas State. L. Roberson and uh, uh, Darren Sproles, hmm. right, went in there and they absolutely, it, I think the final score was like 35 to 7 or 35 14 or something. It was, they got run off the field. And still got in. And we were like, wait, how can you get blown out in your last game and get in? Uh, there's a chat saying that was Kansas State. Kansas State, yeah. Kansas State, because El Ro- I remember L. Roberson was their quarterback and Darren mm-hmm. Sproles was the running back on that team. Right? And it was just like, wait, what? How did they get blown out and get in? That makes no sense. And that game actually helped change the system. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit because we were like, wait, they're quite clearly not the best. Right. Right. And I think that that was their second loss to Kansas State that season, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong about that. I just remember that it was a very it was very unimpressive and these guys still got in. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I, I want that, you know, and it created so, so much controversy that they had to change the way that they looked at it after that. And we, we haven't seen a fiasco like that since. <laughs> right. So I would like to keep that part of it where, you know, after we had to endure that um, uh, uh, to, you know, to say, hey, man, like, listen, these these little these game these trap games that we have on our schedule, you hear the, the, the term trap game. We're about to play so-and-so school, and we can't afford to take a week off because even if in a subjective system, even a bad win might cost you a chance. And that's, that's another thing that I don't like about our system is because we don't play comparative talent across the country, we have to go, oh, well, that loss and that win, which sounds stupid to me. Everybody hyping up A&M's loss to Alabama last year sound like idiots. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. They only lost by... Shut up. Shut up. That's stupid. They only lost by three possessions. That's stupid. That makes no sense to me. They lost. Three possessions is not a competitive game. Hanging in in half is barely a competitive game, but the end result is not But who was better than them? Who was Florida. truly subjectively better? Florida actually didn't the stop problem, scoring until the time left went again, off the clock. The problem is 
Florida lost to Texas A&M. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. So, so, so to your themselves. point, to your point. So last year in the, in the uh, NCAA tournament, I remember this because I was so happy that Alabama lost. They lost to UCLA. UCLA did not have a good season. UCLA struggled most of the year, got their stuff together, and then became the team that they had the potential to be. College football, the way we reward wins here and losses there, it almost completely eliminates the ability for a team to get better halfway through the year, a third of the way through the year, and then be the team that they can be. Oh, well, you know, they lost a hit. Yeah, they lost the second game of the season. So what? They lost the third game of the season. So what? UCLA was not great early. They made a run. They hit the Sweet 16. No, they actually got to the Elite Eight. How do you know if we pick him before the NCAA tournament, how many basketball uh, aficionados would have picked them to make that pick? You're taking people out of the running when they have done what good coaches should do and make adjustments and improve your team over time. In the NFL, Tom Brady was seven and five going into the off week. It was seven and five. That's not a Super Bowl team. Good thing they have good coaches and players that can adjust and they got better and they made their run. You are completely eliminating that possibility in college by putting so much weight on a singular loss and comparing how right. ugly a loss was. But, or how but ugly how many a win was. trash NFL games do we watch week to week that don't mean anything, though? That's my point. My point is we but have the so best I, regular season in college so, football. No, I, I will agree that the, the, the college football regular season, but the trash NFL season is not because it's not at the expense of how many teams make the playoffs. I don't think. Which I, no, I no, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. But but yeah. you understand what I'm saying. Like I, I he's making a, a, an argument for having a being able to recover from a bad game and accounting for getting better. And I think that we actually do have that in our season. No, we don't. We do. Right. No. Like in the beginning, the rule was if you're going to lose, lose early because the way the perception of the of the of the rankings work is is that. The further away that loss is from people's minds, the more likely they are to be forgiving of it at the end of the season. That's how it's been forever. And that's you lose, stupid. Lose I can't. Yeah, let me schedule this loss for early so I can get better if later. You lose, I don't lose know early. when I'm going to lose. Right? What if I don't our play se- any our, good our teams season until later? Is the same. Our season is the same, right? If we that's were nonsense. seriously trying to make a championship run, the one game that we would want to lose it's should be Penn State. Right. A tough team on the road. And then and then the rest of our schedule provides enough opportunities to show improvement before the end of the season. Right. We can make still make it to our conference championship, but we can't go out and lose another one. Right. Which is right. What happened so you can still last year. Right. Because right. Florida lost to Texas A&M early. They still were in the driver's seat until they lost to LSU late. And they they gave they gave up that game. Again. They gave right. Yeah, that was yeah, that was stupid. Anyway, <laughs> they we gotta get out of here, guys. Um, we are well over the time that we normally are here. We appreciate y'all sticking in here. Eric Coleman, War Eagle to you. Appreciate you tuning in on your lunch break. Uh, we got a shout out to B Will here from our man Jonathan Harris telling you yeah, man, Jonathan, your gospel man. there. So uh disagree you know, we with got G. a lot of people. <laughs> Have disagree with B Rob too. <laughs> dang, 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 dang. None of that rhymes with Ike though. Anyway, right, so we are about to get <laughs> we about to get out of here, man. As always, we are the War Report, man. Make sure you are hitting like and you are subscribing to our video. Share this video with other people so they can get in on this conversation because we will be engaging with you all in the comments after we are done. Make sure you are liking the video, subscribing to us on YouTube. We are the War Report on IG and Twitter. We are TW Report on TikTok. That's it, man. We're about to get out of here, man. We appreciate you all staying with us a little bit longer. But as always, 
story 